That's Off Wiedersehen, as done by Ellison, joined by Ministries Al Jorgensen and Anthrax's Charlie Benante, from the upcoming Ellison album, No Cover. And joining me right now is David Ellison. Thanks for stopping by Radio Bypass again, David. Yes, Ralph, good to chat with you again, my friend. Same, same. So you've got this cool uh, new cover record coming out when... uh, when we were together before, I don't think this was uh, even necessarily being made yet. So I think you've uh, carved out an 18-song uh, record in record short time, especially during the pandemic. So tell, tell us, how did this no cover come together? Yeah, you know, so my singer Tom and I started chatting about the uh, the next Ellison LP, which is going to be all original material. Um and we had originally posted probably October, we would put that out. But as we saw the world stay shut down, um, you know, in June, we had a conversation about it again. And we just said, look, this, we may as well kick that into 2021. When things start to open up, we can drop that record. So in the meantime, you know, look, let's, why don't we just knock out a few covers and see what happens? And, and you know, so we started, the first song was Wasted, uh, the Def Leppard track from On Through the Night. And then, we got in, you know, we just started spitballing ideas and, you know, it's funny where it went because I went to like, not the obvious sort of heavy metal standards, if you will. I, I went to the, the deeper cuts <clears throat> that were the, that inspired me as a, as a young bass player, as a young music fan. Right. Uh, things like Sweet F.A., um, Bachman Turner Overdrive, Not Fragile, Sheer Heart Attack by Queen. Um, and, and those, those were the ones that were the driving force of this. And of course, Alveder Zane that you just played, um, from the Cheap Trick Heaven Tonight records, um, is, is I think universally amongst us metalheads, the uh, kind of, you know, penultimate, uh, heavy metal song by Cheap Trick. If there is right. one, you know, yep. Yep. you know, it's funny with Cheap Trick is they're this band that everybody can agree on. You know, they, they're, they're kind of like Van Halen. They're, they're everybody's band. Right. Uh, guys, girls, thrashers, metalheads, rockers, balladeers, whatever, you know. And um, so Alvinas is cool. It's kind of right up our, our alley. And so we set to work on this record like early June. And, you know, we were already mixing by mid-July. So within like four to five weeks, the record was recorded. Took another month to mix it, master it, and here we are. It's but, November, and the thing is coming out. But it's so it's, it's such a huge undertaking. It's such a short period of time, I mean, because you've got a lot of special guests on this record too. I mean, coordinating all of that just had to be monumental. It, it was, but you know, here's the thing: this didn't start out as an all-star record. Um, that is not the intention of it. Um, the way it started was to do some covers. So the song is what we're honoring. Um, and so my band, which already has a, a sound to it, um, I, I told everybody, I said, listen, you know, I don't, I don't want this to be some drop tuning death metal, you know, we're going to just see how heavy we can do these songs. That was not the goal here. We wanted to really honor these songs. Mm-hmm. We wanted them to be, you know, the arrangements to be pretty much the same as the original, play the parts like the originals were. And, and then as we started inviting guests in it was really just for fun you know we'd been on the phone with a lot of these guys um you know we had earlier this year we had done the david allison youth music foundation live streams and we've had we had a lot of these guests on our live stream so it was right. you know we kind of already had them on speed dial it was a pretty easy reach to just reach over to them and say hey you want to join us on this this record we're doing and 
you know, everybody loves these songs. These were, we all, we all pretty much shared the same record collection, not right. all of us, you know? <laughs> so, so it was pretty easy, you know, and, and, and everybody had some type of home recording, you know, system set up that they could knock their tracks out, email them over. And, and, you know, we, we, you know, put it together. We mixed it over in London um, with our friend Alessio at Rogue Recording. He mixes all of the Ellison stuff and really, you know, helps, you know, really understands the sound we want for the band. And right. you know, quite honestly, the mixing was probably more of a complex uh, process because now we had uh, the sound of the Ellison band. We've got these songs that every one of them required some nuance. You know, lots of times when you go in to make a record, you sort of plug in, you record all with the same drum tone, same bass tone, same guitar tone, and you, there's sort of a consistency. And and we did have that on this record, but you know, every drummer had a little bit of a different sound. Sure. Um, of course, my bass parts were were consistent throughout, as was Andy Martin Jelly's guitar and Tom Hazard's vocal. But, you know, then you start adding the guests and you start adding some different guitar players and things on there. You know, now there starts to become some nuances. And, and that actually, quite honestly, instead of it become, being problematic, it opened up an opportunity to really dial in on on some some greater detail. And, and a song that stands out in my mind is Frank Hannon from Tesla, who played guitar and played the solos on uh, the, the Def Leppard track, Wasted. Right. Um, you know, Frank had a very kind of Gibson through a Marshall, more kind of classic rock tone, not, not a heavy metal tone at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and just the way he played his solo had this really thick kind of like Robin Trower, bad company sort of tone to it. Um, so, you know, you suddenly start mixing around some of these elements rather than just coming in like a freight train and saying, this is, this is it. And everything has to fit within this box. So. Uh, the, the mixing was one of the most fun records I've ever had the opportunity to mix, quite honestly. Really? Just because of all those different nuances in everyone's playing? or Yeah. And, you know, like I said to, um, you know, earlier back in May, we put out a track that we, my Allison band had covered from Post Malone, a song called Over Now. Right. And it's interesting because we sat down and, and in the studio here in Phoenix, uh, we A-B'd our uh, tone our mixes against we mixed it we put it up against Megadeth Dystopia we put it up against Judas Priest Firepower and you know it's interesting when you A-B things and you put them back to back and you hear uh, you know the thickness of the guitars the uh, different ambiance of the drums and the and the, the cymbals and the room mics and things like that mm -hmm. um, you know and, and you really it really you, you kind of and not that you want your ears to sound like somebody else's record but you kind of get it gives you a little bit of kind of a competitive edge if you will you know right. and one of the things that I noticed um, especially with Judas Priest Firepower was how clean the guitars are you know I mean Judas Priest is a very heavy hard hitting band, but their guitar tone is, is, is a pretty clean sound. And you can really hear all the notes in, in the, in the chords that they play. And, and that's something that for me as a musician, you know, I grew up a rock and a hard rock guy, you know, heavy metal came a little later in my life and, and it, it's obviously what I'm attracted to, you know? Right. Um, but honestly, Judas Priest was the band that steered me. <laughs> the Unleashed in the East record is the one that steered me into metal. And, um, you know, so it's funny that 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 as I listen to our recording of uh, of uh, Over Now, and we were we were ready to master it. You know, you we really kind of subjected it to um, 
you know, we wanted our sound, but it had to be a competitive sound. And, and so as we went into mixing the no cover record, I, I really, I took the time and the detail on every one of these tracks. Um, like I, I had Andy Martin jelly recut a couple of parts, uh, the cover of uh, the opening of, uh, say riff raff by ACDC. Mm-hmm. And I just said, I said, listen, it's ACDC. There's a very distinctive guitar tone they have. We don't need to go totally as clean as they go. Um, cause we're a bit of a heavier sound than that in our guitars, but at the same time, part of what makes that riff really stand out when you hear it is the clarity of the notes in the chords. And, you know, so those are just some details on this record that, you know, and especially a lot of these songs were recorded in the 70s and early 80s. Right. Um, and and so they, they had, by the 80s, you know, tones, especially guitar tones and drum tones were already starting to get pretty big and pretty pretty fat and, you know, pretty, pretty good sounding back in the seventies. Um, you know, they were still kind of figuring it out. Um, and, and, um, you know, so I, I, I we didn't necessarily need, you know, to sound like the original artist, obviously, but uh, as far as their, you know, a recording from 1976 or something, but, you know, <laughs> it's interesting when you go back and you listen to it, there, there's some detail in, in how they, you know, in how they played their parts that I really wanted to make sure we're there because quite honestly, they, they're kind of the signature hallmark of these songs. Mm. Yeah, sure. For sure. Especially some of them more so than others, like as far as the guitar sound goes, like not fragile. Um, that's super distinctive. I always felt. And, and I think it's interesting that, uh, that you covered sweet FA from sweet. And when you mentioned, as you were talking about the guitar sounds, I was thinking about how how that sounded on your version of it and i think you nailed it you know as far yeah, as yeah thank goes. you yeah well it's funny you mentioned two songs you know not fragile was one of course that bass the opening bass riff is so i mean that's just like the holy grail of bass to me you know and of course on the bto record it's 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 really smooth it's probably you know a fender with a flat wound string on it um, and a very warm analog tape, of course, back in that day. And when I first heard it, it was on vinyl, you know, so it's vinyl yeah, even makes a nice warmer, fatter sound. Right. Right. So I'm sitting here, I'm going through my collection of my Jacksons, my fenders, my modulus, you know, these are all pretty high octane, pretty shredding thrash metal kind of sounding basses. And I'm going, okay, none of these are going to work for that. You know, I even pulled out my Steve Harris uh, signature P bass with flat long strings on it. And was hoping that would do the trick, and and it and it, it didn't. It wasn't quite there. And I, I thought I'd go. God, you know what's funny? I have these couple of music band basses here, so let me pull those out because where the pickups located on the bass, it, it provides a, a pretty punchy tone without a lot of sustain to it. Uh-huh. Um, and so I plugged in, and there it was. It, it it was the perfect sound where you could really hear the 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 note. Um, but it wasn't rattly and thrashy sounding. So that ended up be, being my go-to instrument on not fragile for the bass. Interesting. And you're right on sweet FA, um, you know, fi- uh, ballroom blitz of course was the, the big, the big hit on one. radio right. when, when I was, you know, was probably what, 10 years old when I heard that right. on the radio. And then as I got the album in, you know, later years and dug into it, sweet FA was always a standout track for me, a really just cool song. Mm-hmm. And I, I hit I hit Todd Kearns, who plays bass in Slash's band, and he's got an incredible voice. And I and I said, hey, you know, would you want to uh, 
step up to bat on this. And I said, by the way, probably going to need you to sing all the harmonies and everything. And um, I said, we got Bumblefoot, you know, you can help if you need. He goes, you know what? Challenge accepted. I'm in. And <laughs> dude, he, he came back with what you hear. I mean, when he sent it back to me, I was like, oh my God, I, I thought he lifted the freaking tracks off the sweet record. They sound right. amazing, you know? Yep. So um, Todd is a real talent, man. Not only as a bass player, a guitar player, but as, certainly as a singer, you know, and, and, and I, I think this record in my mind really showcases some amazing vocal dynamics and some vocal um, composition, you know, like Love Me Like a Reptile has, of course, Tom Hazard, it's got Doral Pesh, it's got my childhood friend Greg Handovit singing on it. We used to co- Greg and I used to play that song in cover bands when we were growing up in Minnesota. Um, in our, you know, our cover bands we had back there and, and, right. um, you know, so it was just, you know, and of course, sheer heart attack is Bumblefoot, Tom and Doral Pesh again is on that. So just these, these really cool vocal collaborations and this blend of voices that we got to, you know, really, you know, to, to, to put down on tape. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a, I don't know, there's been another moment in time where there's been such variety on 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 tape like this especially with 18 19 songs like this mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it yeah you're right and and what i like too about this you know like you said you kind of dug deep on some of the tunes you decided to cover and i and i gotta say what i was really impressed is that you chose beth of all kiss songs to cover i would you know thought maybe more god of thunder or something like that so i thought that was an interesting take and i was curious was that tyson that's singing on that track no that's actually tom it is tyson playing all the keyboards and tyson plays for vixen as well um but yeah that's tom actually singing on that and it's really you know it's funny tom hit me right he was in the studio singing another track and the record was pretty much done and we were kind of wrapping it all up and he sends me a whatsapp message with a little you know voice recording he said hey man (laughs) i'm gonna take a stab at this what do you think? And I was just, you know, cause he knows I'm a huge kiss fan. And of course the kiss destroyer record that had Beth on it uh, right. is my, that's my kiss record, you know? And, and I, I, I heard it. I went, Holy cow, dude. I said, I love this because, you know, normally when you hear Tom sing, it's a full on freight truck coming through your speakers. You yes. know, he's, he's a yes. pretty big, loud, ballsy guy. Right. And so right. to hear him really, open up and I've heard him cause we write together. So I've heard him be more uh, kind of a cleaner, uh, voice. He kind of probably sounds a little more STP, Alice in Chains, puddle of mud. He's probably a little more in that kind of a clean sound. Right. So I, so I've heard right. him sing like that. Um, but I just don't normally hear it on most of our, our records. I, I guess probably for what it taught me is that our songs tend to be heavier. So he, as a vocalist tends to go heavier, and more throaty with his vocal style. And it kind of made me think, you know, that with this next Ellison record we're going to, that we're working on now, um, it's okay to pull things back a little bit, if nothing else to showcase Tom a little bit more with, with the wide range that he has, because, and I think Beth really opened him up big time. And and I I couldn't be more proud of him for swinging the bat and, and going for that one. I thought he did a great job on it. Yes. Well, yeah, you can uh, definitely tell him I feel that way too, because yeah, I, I did. That's why I was trying to figure out who was singing that because I've never heard his voice sound like that before. For me, I've never gotten to hear it sound like that. And it's, it's, he did a wonderful job. 
Well, it's interesting as we were out this last week, we played some shows down in Texas and Louisiana. And, you know, to that end, after making a record, you know, records change you as a musician. Um, they open you up, they challenge you, they push you to a place, usually to a place of tears and wanting to punch somebody in the face because you can be <laughs> so frustrated trying to get something. Um, but you always come through the other side, a, a stronger uh performer, musician, writer, et cetera. And, you know, even one of the things is in Texas, I heard Tom pulling back a little bit and really like kind of trailing some nice melodies at the end of some of his, of his vocal lines. And I told him, I said, dude, I really like that. I, I, I love that you're kind of cleaning up your sound a little bit on some of these things. And cause Tom can hit it hard. No problem. It's like me, man, I can turn up and play thrash metal all day long. But to, you know, to sort of get a bit more nuanced in stuff and, and play with, with um, you know, with, with, with just more dynamics. Um, you know, if everything's just loud all the time, for, as, as a listener, you just get desensitized to it. But I always find that when you play with dynamics, you can take the listener on a much more emotional journey. Oh, without and, a doubt. Yeah. And I, and I also think, too, one of the things that happened with this record inadvertently is that by stepping away from rec from writing our own, uh, you know, uh, original material, you know, we took two, two and a half months here, dove into this no cover record. We came back and then we listened to the material that we have for the Allison record. And it it's it clearly showed where we're doing it right. We've got strengths. It also showed some things to go and, you know, we got to, we got to work on that over there. Like that, those songs aren't done yet. You know, these, right. these songs need some time. And, and oftentimes when you go in to write and record a record, you're, you're sort of like, we got two months, we've got to write the record and we're in and you sort of go to this sort of premeditated writing mentality, this little window you have to write a record. And sometimes, you know, you can knock it out of the park. Sometimes you really hit the, you know, the bullseye. And other times, yeah, there's some things that you listen back and you go, man, I wish we would have done that a little bit differently. You know, as the old adage goes, you got your whole life to write your first record and you got about nine months to a year to write your second one. <laughs> right. um, you know, and, and that's, that's what happens. So I think this no cover record actually, again, and again, listen, listen to the songs. We're bait. We're benchmarking the next Ellison record against, against we're benchmarking against Wasp and Def Leppard and Fastway and BTO and, you know, we're, we're subjecting our own material against some pretty freaking heavy hitting all-star material here. Yes. Yep. You are, but, but that's good. It's good to have a high standard. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And you know, you mentioned, um, that you did some live things in Texas, but now did I see also, uh, is this really happening? You're coming to my neck of the woods too. We I'm are. Now where are you at live? particular? I'm part, where, where are you at? Chicago. You're right in Chicago. Okay, yeah. So we are playing in Pekin, Illinois, Indianapolis. That Pekin's on uh, November 18th, so in about two weeks. Um, and then Indianapolis. Then we're going to play in the Chicago area, and right. then up to Green Bay. And we actually have another show that we're just we just literally put it together this week, where we're going to play in uh, Madison at a place called uh, Madtown Mix Studios. And it's actually the same studio that Tom records his vocals at, but they have another kind of a big room that they open it up and they do uh, concerts with um, with bands in there and they can sell, um, it's sort of like a live stream event. So we're going to actually do that on uh, Sunday the 22nd. Now, I was curious because um, we've been having a big uptick here in the state of Illinois with the COVID and in certain areas. Now, 
Um, I'm not sure where the, the place you're playing at on the 20th, the, the social club, that's in a suburb called West, West Chicago. I don't remember what region for this uh, regional stuff it is for the COVID, but I know they, they clamp down a lot again on things. Um, but these shows look pretty solid. I mean, are they limiting the amount of you tickets know, or? As of now, they are. Uh, yeah, and very. in fact, I think the Chicago show is limited to 25 tickets. That's where they've capped it. So, um, you know, the shows we did in Texas, <clears throat> Texas, excuse me, were nice because they were outdoor, they were right? open air. They were outside, which was, which was nice. Um, these indoor ones. Yeah, obviously look, you know, we're, you can't be messing around and look, we're not trying to come in and tempt fate and, you know, disregard the severity of this pandemic by any means. Cause I mean, trust me, we don't want to get sick either. Believe me. Of course. Um, yet at the same time, um, you know, it, it seems that there's a window here to do this. Um, you know, the record's coming out next week. So we want to be, uh, out promoting it as best we can and, and, you know, have fans be able to buy it and we'll, you know, be at the merch table selling stuff. Um, we right. kind of figured out how to socially distance and do some of that stuff. And, you know, look, everybody's going to have to mask up and, and, you know, and, and play by the rules, of course. So, um, it seems if we can, you know, play by the rules and, 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 you know, do it the right way, hopefully it will be a safe uh, thing for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just so excited when I saw that. I was like, really, they're going to be able to come through this area because like I say, you know, what, what I hear on the news and, and the different restrictions, I was like, Hmm, unless they are doing something outside, although kind of late in the year for outside stuff around here. <laughs> I don't think, yeah, I don't think we want to be playing outside in November. <laughs> no, no, that, that would be rough on Tom's vocal cords for sure. Absolutely. But, yep. But, um, that, so that's wonderful. Yeah. I wasn't sure when I saw that, I'm like, wait, are, is the band actually coming or is this just going to be like a DJ type thing introducing the record? What's happening? So that's awesome. So, for Chicago area folks, uh, WC Social Club, while we're on the subject, is um, the one nearest Chicago. That's on November 20th, November 18th, Pekin, Illinois. And then if you feel like road tripping up to Green Bay, that's on the 21st. And then is um, Madison added for the 22nd or the 23rd then? For the, yeah, for Sunday the 22nd, yep. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's awesome. Live music, that's so exciting. So exciting. How did it feel for yeah. you guys playing last week? Was you know, it was last week was really good. I mean, again, we went to San Antonio. We built two days of rehearsal in the first day. We actually shot two videos. We shot a new video for Riff Raff. We shot a video for Eat the Rich. And, um, you know, then went out and played these three shows with Saliva, Ellison, The Crown, and The Killer's Confession. And it was, it was a good little run, you know, and, and, um, you know, it, it, I think it was the same thing. People were excited to at least try this um, and, you know, to get outside and rock. People were certainly having a good time. It was kind of weird for us. I mean, you know, my band hadn't been on stage together since last year, late last year, 2018. And I hadn't been on stage since uh, the Megadeth Five Finger Death Punch Tour wrapped up in February. Bumblefoot was over in Europe with Sons of Apollo in kind of early March before they... Right shut down and came home. So yeah, it was kind of an interesting experience for all of us to be back on stage again. But you know, look, you know, you just get up there, you let the music do the talking and, and go from there. Right. Well, that's fantastic. 
All right, so the record is still scheduled then to come out on November 20th, no cover. So you'll actually be here on actual release day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's part of why we planned it that way. We wanted to have a nice look and play good old, play good old Chicago and uh, have our friends come out and friends and fans and, and celebrate the hometown Kind of a hometown gig, home away from home for me, you know, right. there in Chicago. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, David. All right, cool. So that's that's what's happening with the record. Then um, I know you know we're going to run out of time here pretty quick, but just quick update: how's things going with the youth youth foundation? You were doing a lot of cool things last time we talked, including some uh, getting lessons for kids while they were quarantined at home and not being able to go to school. What's happening there? Yeah, you know, same thing. We we spent a couple of months doing that, which was really great. Uh, Cisco came to us with a really sizable grant, and that helped a lot. Of course, we were part of the Grammy Music Education Coalition, uh, so that really helped get the word out. And, yeah, we gave a lot of people music instruction and kept them occupied and some mentoring lessons and things like that, which was really good. And, you know, quite honestly, it kept a lot of my friends employed for, for a couple of months as well, which was really <laughs> fun. Good. Yeah, you know, and, and um, you know, and, and, and like I said, you know, having everybody close in, um, they were a pretty close reach for us when it came time to do the no cover record. We could, you know, easily reach over to them and that brought them in to, you know, for us to make a record together. And, and you know, it's kind of my style. You know, if I'm going in, I'm bringing my friends with me. And right. You know, you know, so what started with the Youth Foundation kind of ended the year with no cover. Very cool. Very cool. I love that. Yeah, I was I was so impressed with everything you had going, and I didn't even think about that connection. That yes, I can see how that would have tied into the no cover record. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And then, very uh, convenient. And then one other cool thing I wanted to mention last time we did not really talk much about the Fine Ellison Coffee Company, um, mm-hmm. but the no October just ended, so I think it's still appropriate. Um, you sell several varieties of coffee you are a coffee connoisseur and there's one uh roast that you actually donate some proceeds to um cancer research or something breast cancer related yeah the rock and roast we actually yeah we actually uh donate some money off of that to um the rose organization down in uh, houston texas their uh, breast cancer awareness uh, organization and then we also roast um, two two different roasts for um, uh, the High Ground Harmony and the Morning Melody that we do for, and we give the, some of the proceeds off of that to the Grammys. They have another pillar in their organization called Music Cares, and and that so we give money from that coffee sold over to Music Cares. Nice, nice. Yeah, I don't think we we talked much about that the last time, but um, as a coffee lover myself although i don't know that i can consider myself a connoisseur because i'll drink pretty much coffee any which way if i need a cup of coffee (laughs) but uh, but i do got to just get your opinion because my wife and i always disagree on this so for many years my coffee i've always liked a coffee maker that uh pours into a carafe or if i don't have one that pours into a carafe i get a carafe and i pour my coffee after it's brewed into the carafe but for for many years now we've had a, one from Cusinart that is wonderful 12 12 cup goes straight into a carafe and, and a, to me it brews a pretty good cup of coffee but we we sometimes 
even out like we're one of us wants just one more cup of coffee in, on the weekend or something we've polished off a pot polished off a pot or during the week she just wanted to be able to make a single cup so I eventually broke down and got her one of these Keurigs and I've drank coffee of several different brands of these pods and these Keurigs I cannot get a decent tasting cup of coffee out of that what what do you think of single cup coffee makers well, first of all, I think I know the Cuisinart you're talking about. I actually have a Cuisinart, and I, I, I do like the ones that go into sort of a thermos carafe so that they sit there, and they're not on a hot plate. So yeah, it boils it into get basically a thermos. Yeah, and it just sits there, and the thermos keeps it warm rather than, it, yeah, getting burned from a hot plate down below, heating up a glass carafe. So I, I'm totally there with you on that. And, it, look, if you've had that experience, having a nice, really, I think, a you know, a delicious cup of coffee – the, the, the issue with the Keurigs or in any of these sort of prepackaged coffees, and of course I'd see many of them in hotel rooms that I go to around the world. They, sure. You know, in Europe they have Nescafe. That's kind of their version of the carafe. Right. <clears throat> they have standalone Nescafe stores that are as big and swank as an Apple store. I mean, it's, it's an incredible business. But my problem that I have with all of them, and let's just talk about the Keurigs, for instance, because I looked at getting into Keurig um, because we had a lot of fans asking about it. So I investigated. And first of all, it's an incredible investment, far beyond, you know, what our little company is, you know, willing to do at this point. Right. And my bigger issue with it is, is it is a um, commodity level coffee, meaning it's, it's, let's just call it what it is. It's a cheap coffee. And it's been it's been roasted and packaged months before it sits in a warehouse somewhere and then it sits on your you know in a in a storeroom somewhere and then it sits on a grocery store shelf for a while before it gets to your house and you know the model of what we're doing in our coffee company is that we have hand roasted premium artisan coffee and mm-hmm. when you order it uh it doesn't show up overnight uh, we actually are now in amazon and we're actually gonna we get ready to fulfill our first orders into amazon and we're only going to do the roast in peace ground because uh not everybody has a, a, a grinder at home um so i wanted to be ground and also uh, we're going to see how the sell-through is with it at amazon um i'm anticipating it to be pretty swift right because once you grind the bean you know like you're talking about your keurigs that's a ground that's a ground coffee you know, it goes, it, it expires much quicker when it stays in a whole bean form, it preserves itself longer. Um, so I, I, for me, I personally buy my beans, I bring them home. And then once I grind them, you know, first of all, once you open the bag, that's the beginning of the expiration. Right. And then once you grind it, there's the second that, which is why I keep it in whole bean until I grind it, uh, brew it, drink it, bang, you know? Yeah. So I, you're, you're right. The, I, I'm, I'm with you. And I, there, there are receptacles that you can put into the Keurig, for instance, that is kind of a permanent fixture. Mm-hmm. And then you can pour whatever coffee you want in there. You can put Starbucks or Allison coffee or Dunkin' Donuts. You can put anything you want in there. Um, <clears throat> and then you just pull that little receptacle I, out and wash it out. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. And we tried that too. I still didn't think it tasted as good. Well, it's a, it's a much look, check out how, I mean, you can see, look at what a different brewing process it is, you know, to compare your Cuisinart, for instance, right. And right. the quality of, of the machinery of how that brews and how it, 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 it drips in, whether it's a flat or a cone filter versus this little receptacle that's got, you know, a couple of, 
you know, a couple little scoops of coffee in it, and you're and you're basically heating the water right there, forcing it through that thing into your into your cup. Uh, it looks like a similar process, and it is a drip coffee process, but it, it, it's a different process. And and um, you know, so I, I'm with you. I mean, and, and I get the Keurig thing. I've had some Keurig, you know, Starbucks makes a Verona that's not bad. Um, I don't like most of their other ones. Um, and I can tell the quality of it. it. It it tastes like kind of a cheap Folgers level commodity coffee. It tastes more like a Robusta mm-hmm. rather than we use the Arabica beans, and uh, which are the Arabica is grown at a higher elevation. The Robusta is the stuff that's kind of grown down in the valley. Right. So the runoff of the water from the mountains goes down into the valley. And, you know, as water runs down, so does a lot of other crap with it. Sure, <laughs> so, sure. You know, to me, the, you know, the Arabica beans are the creme de la creme. They're the premium ones up higher in the mountains. And that's why they have a different flavor to them. Right. Okay. Well, thank you for that. When my, when my wife hears this, maybe she'll believe me that the Keurig just doesn't taste right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I go to Mike Portnoy's house, for instance, right? And he's a coffee guy. And, um... He's got a Keurig. And I was like, oh my God, you're killing me. I can't have Keurig. Like we were, you know, working on Battle of Allegiance records, you know, and Mike and I were good friends and, and, and I didn't know. He's like, yeah, hey, I just need a quick cup of coffee. I don't know. It says Starbucks. All right. Put it in the Keurig. Be done. Right. And, and I was like, oh my God, you got to get the drip coffee maker out. So, you know, we're like doing a whole barista thing there in the counter <laughs> in his kitchen, you know? And, um, but I, I'm with you. And, and like for some people, they don't care. It's like, Hey, it's good enough. It's strong. It's, it's popping my eyes open. I'm good to go. You know? And so like your wife, she, she maybe like, it's good enough and that's fine. You know, but, right. um, yeah, there are some of us that, you know, I, and I'm one of them that, that I'm very particular about, you know, how I, you know, brew my coffee, what kind of coffee it is, you know, even what during the day, I mean, I'll drink a lighter roast in the morning, um, because that has more caffeine in it. And then at, you know, later in the day, I'll have a darker roast because it's a little richer and darker, and and uh, it, it's, it's actually a little mellower. As much as it's a stronger, bolder coffee, it, it, it actually has less caffeine, so it doesn't keep me all jacked as I get into the nighttime. And I, I think I learned that from from you, from your website for your coffee company. I think I I never knew that. I always thought because I usually like a Colombian roast or you know darker roast, um, right. French roast or whatever. And for some reason, I don't know why, I just always assumed, oh, well, it has that little bolder taste, a little stronger taste. It must have more caffeine. But um, I learned that that is not the case. It's actually the opposite. So if you're drinking a light roast coffee, you're actually getting a little more milligrams of caffeine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was pretty pretty eye-opening to me. I don't know why I, I associated the bolder flavor uh, of the dark roast with having the must, must, must have more caffeine. I don't know where I got that, but I did. And, well, um, we probably related to like bourbon and beer, right? Usually the dark, you know, you drink a Guinness stout, you know, and I, and I, again, I haven't drank booze in 30 years, but again, I'm back when I used to drink, I knew this well, you know, right. kind of the heavier, the harder, the, you know, the, the, the alcohol, usually the more pungent and wasted you would get from it. So you guess you kind of assume the same, same thing with coffee, you know, and, and yeah. most things, you know, Hey, yeah. a, a darker red sauce over a pasta, right. You know, is a, it, it just kind of feels like more, you know, um, <laughs> right. but, right. So, but, and with coffee, and it is that, you know, and again, and I, you know, it's, it depends on when you, if you blend coffees with different foods, you know, like in the morning, a little bit lighter, you know, with your breakfast is a different, is a different, is a different, you know, um, 
uh, you know, nuance than, you know, maybe, you know, a coffee after dinner, uh, which is why the Italians do this. You know, the Italians, they drink mostly little shots of espresso. They don't do right. drip coffee over there. So they do kind of little, you know, a little shot of espresso. It's got a good kick to it, get you going. You have that with your little cannoli or some other little after dinner dessert. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of keeps you quick and light on your feet and keeps you awake, you know, till you get home. Right. Right. I gotcha. All right. Well, there you go. Coffee Talk 101 with David Ellison. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, and we will have coffee in Chicago. So anybody who's listening and comes out, we will have some coffee at the merch booth. So fear not. We will keep you caffeinated as well as rocking out. Excellent. Maybe maybe you can get the venue to brew some too and serve it. Well, never brewed. know. Yeah. It's worth, yeah. Worth, a, worth a shot. Worth a shot. Or give out samples. Here, taste uh, David Ellison's coffee. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but anyway, Keep well, that's... Place smelling good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't you love that smell? I'm a sucker for that I do. smell. Oh, I do. man. I do. I love that. All right. Well, listen, buddy, I, I won't keep you any longer, but thank you for coming by Radio Bypass again. I'm excited about You're the welcome. no cover record. I'm still excited about the new Ellison record, even though now I know it's not coming out till 2021. But um, looking forward to that. And I think last time we talked too, didn't you have? Weren't you guys pretty much wrapped up on the next Megadeth record too? At that point, we're we're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. You know, it's um, we're getting. You know, still working on it now, which is you know, it's been okay this year to have some time to work on it. And yeah, you know, with the tour dates that we've been announcing for next year, we're hoping to, you know, probably be dropping some new music around uh, the tour kicking off. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, very good. All right, everybody. Thank you, uh, David. This was David Ellison joining Radio Bypass. New record from Ellison, no cover, out on November 20th. And in the Midwest, a chance to see Ellison live right around the same time. So uh, I'll put those dates on all our Radio Bypass socials as well for the live shows. So check out Ellison Live if you can. I know I'm definitely going to plan to go to at least the one in West Chicago. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, thank you to David Ellison. Perfect. Thank you, Ralph. See you later. All right, buddy.